From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 98. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and Ring. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Stephen Hackett. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm very good. Uh, it's just the two of us right now. Uh, there is a rumor on the streets that Federico uh, partied really hard for the 4th of July. Um, he ate lots of hot dogs. Uh, I think lots of uh, pineapple, pepperoni, pizza, stuff like that. So he's going to be joining us a little bit later on in the show, which is good because that gives us a clear path to talk about Hackintoshes. So that's on the way. That's uh, on the, that's coming. And everybody just uh, hit pause. And it was like, we're done. On. We're done. Where's the Federico section? Now, Hackintosh is a little later on in the show today, uh, which is not a thing I thought we'd be discussing in 2016, but here we are. TLDR. Exactly. But before any of that, you sent me an iMessage yesterday <laughs> about a weird dream that you had. Or was it this morning? Who knows? Time is irrelevant. Uh, and I figured that you should tell this story to our audience because it's kind of amazing. I told it to my wife as well, and she just sort of looked at me as if I'd maybe been hitting the head with a brick. It's probably not the first time. <laughs> I am one to have dreams. I don't know about you, Mike. You know, I think like my kids don't really remember their dreams, but but I dream vividly and, and remember them. And tell me them. Most of the time. And tell them to you. And since it's July and there's no tech news, and this is a tech-related dream, we're going to talk about it. Federico is never going to miss another episode after this. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what have I let them do? <laughs> um, so I had a dream that I was at the Apple Store and I had to have an iPad repaired, and they needed me to remove my sim card which is bogus because they could just do it themselves anyways so i was invited to the back of the store to do that because i'm a very important person at the apple store apparently in my dream and i discovered that the new apple store in memphis includes an apple museum and my brain this is really what's interesting my brain populated the shelves of this dreamland apple museum with models and machines on my wish list so Basically, my brain is cruising eBay at night, I guess, is what's happening now. I think the thing that is the most interesting to me about this is that, like, your your brain has internalized that wish list. You know, like, deep down in your subconscious somewhere, that entire list is written out. To be fair, I looked at it, like, just a couple of days ago, uh, because I have a new machine coming my way, thanks to a reader who's sending me uh, a computer. And so I was actually just on that list on that list because I was marking it off the list, mm-hmm. and so I guess like it just got like absorbed into the part of my brain in charge of dreamscapes and fired it up a couple days later. What are you getting now? Uh, an original MacBook Air. It's not a, not a good computer. Any specific reason that you want? Like, why was that on your wish list? It's, it wasn't even really a good computer. It's super strange and it has a little flappy door, yep. which is fun. And they didn't make them very long, and it only runs three operating systems, 10.5, 10.6, and 10.7. Just an unusual computer, and, you know, it's definitely like a archetype for designs that were to come, so. Flappy Door sounds like my game follow-up to 123 Notetaker. <laughs> yeah, Flappy Door. <laughs> <laughs> it's based, based on the original MacBook Air, and uh, you just have to keep tapping the game, like tapping the screen to get the door right. to open and close. And then, like whilst it's open, before it closes up again on its own, you have to try and like throw a USB in there or something. And it gets the the longer you use it, the hotter it gets until it shuts down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have limited time before the the <laughs> the MacBook just 
singes your legs, which happened to my brother with that exact computer, by the way. That's not good at yep. all. Yep. And he drove that thing into the into the absolute ground. We do have a little actual follow-up. Uh, we had an email from... Uh, Let's go with Yuri. Yuri? I was going to go with Yuri. Yeah, like Yuri. You've learned, you're learning, but I just feel like I just want to help you. I don't want to put you in the situation where you say Jiri. Yeah. You know? Jiri. Uh, Jiri sounds like how people from South Carolina say Jerry. Goodbye, South Carolinians. Anyways, they write in to say iOS 10, uh, to talk about iOS 10 international keyboards. So Federico was talking about this in the last episode, that you can now switch between multiple languages on the, the keyboard in iOS 10. It's obviously a huge addition for somebody like Federico who works in English but lives his life in Italian. So Yuri wants to use this with an English keyboard and with a Czech keyboard, but he can't because the Czech keyboard does not support predictive typing, which seems to be a requirement for iOS 10 to, to use this bilingual setup. Yeah, this required a little bit of research from me and you today because we had this follow-up come in and Yuri basically just said, oh, I can't use it because of predictive typing. And we were like, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. So we did some looking around and apparently, I didn't know this, the predictive typing in iOS, I guess that came with 9? I think so. Uh, it only supports a handful of languages, really. It's like English, Chinese, no French, German, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Portuguese, Russian, Spanish, Thai, and Turkish. That's all it supports. When like language support is like three times that amount. So interesting. Yeah, so there's a big uh, page. We're going to link to it in the show notes right to the section we're talking about. But if you scroll up and down this page, it's basically iOS feature availability based on language. So like spotlight suggestions are only, again, in a handful of countries. Uh, of course, the music store is in... A- a lot of countries tv programs are only available in six australia canada france germany the uk and the usa i mean, I, I i knew that they were features were based regionally but i didn't know there was a single page on apple's website that explained all of it so it's super fascinating and to yuri's point there seems to be some sort of conflict with this new system and predictive type and so i don't know if predictive type is coming to more languages, which obviously would be a huge win for for international users, or maybe that uh, you know Yuri and users like you're just going to kind of be stuck where uh, because this, the features aren't fully there in the other language that they can't fully take use of what iOS has to offer. But either way, it's a really interesting page and one that uh, I I like you was not aware of until today. No. And you know, these things I assume they come to other languages, but I think when you have languages that are that have smaller populations, they unfortunately I suppose just get deprioritized. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, Czechoslovakians. Yeah, it's rough. I've been to the Czech Republic. Good. It's a lovely country. So you have uh you've done a great thing this week. Mm. You've done a, an incredible thing. Uh you've joined maybe if only temporarily. Definitely temporarily. <laughs> Maybe if only temporarily, the multi-pad lifestyle, which is fantastic. I would like to welcome you with open arms to the world of multiple iPad Pros. Congratulations. I'm not sure it counts if the big one is like in a box somewhere because I'm moving. Like, Still counts. It's, still, I'm not, it's been off for a week. Doesn't matter. Still counts. So, so I've been spending time with the 9.7-inch iPad Pro this week. And I talked a little bit about it on Twitter uh, the other night, but... It's really, I mean, 
as you guys have already discovered. It is a great device. And the thing that I am sort of rediscovering is that 9.7-inch size. Because when I, when I went to the 12.9 in the fall, I haven't really even picked up an Air 2 since then. My wife has one, so one's in the house. But, you know, at most I'm picking it up to, like, fix her iCloud backups when they explode every six weeks. Not not using it uh, whatsoever. And, uh, you know, it's it's way more portable than the big one. The trade-off, of course, is that multitasking, especially when you have the software or keyboard up, is just... Um, uh, you know, a lot. It's difficult. It's cramped. It's like what I was saying last week. You end up with kind of two quarters of applications. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so that's a that's a little rough. But I gotta say, it's it's way more portable. And I'm not one to use an iPad at my desk like Federico is. I mean, I'm using it up and around through the house. But um, it's uh, it's great, and it the True Tone is amazing. And I at this point. Um, I, I only have a couple of days left with this. I'm really kind of borrowing it from somebody. Um, at this point, if if I had to choose, I may choose the 9.7 moving forward, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not doing both. I just I can't justify it. But uh, it's I wanted to understand why you guys spoke about it so highly, and I definitely have uh, have done that. I feel like over the history of this show and the prompt, you have done this about a billion times. Like I like to just fill things out. You change sizes of devices constantly. Definitely. Like you go from 15 inch to 13 inch to 15 inch. And then you go from big iPad to iPad mini to 12.9 inch iPad now to 9.7. Very indecisive. Very indecisive. It's true. That's why you also buy 13 colors of IMAX because you can't pick the one you like the most. That's right. As each morning I can choose which anti-computer I want to do my work on. So you have the multi-Mac life, I guess, right? Is that the... Is that your mm. thing? I guess that's your thing. We hadn't thought of that before. I'm the only one doing it. <laughs> well, you and nobody else would. But so about the 9.7, again, like I will underscore this. I think I said this to you the other day. This is, I believe, the best all-purpose computer you can buy today. Like if you just are a person that wants to surf the web and do some email and maybe check a calendar, like this is the computer with the with the keyboard especially. I think it is like the ultimate computer for someone these days. Like I know a lot of people, including you, have laughed about Phil Schiller saying like this is that the nine point seven is the perfect replacement for somebody who's looking to move from Windows to a new personal computer. I believe it. I'm so in on it. I'm you know everybody knows this by now, but like I think it is just a fantastic multi-purpose all-around machine that you can do basically anything with if you put your mind to it and most people don't have to put their minds to it because the things that they want to do are very simple and i hope that apple can continue to try and crack this like this nut but they really have to attack their own devices before they can do this and i don't i'm not confident they're going to go that far hmm. one thing that really has surprised me is the smart keyboard on the 9.7 is totally usable i wrote this yep. big thing yep. before they shipped it saying this is going to be janky. Everyone, like Jason said the same, right? Like he had absolutely yeah. no hopes for it, but you use it and it's like, oh, this is perfectly fine. It's not as, I don't think it's as good as the 12.9 keyboard. I prefer the larger one. In fact, last night I was using both. Um, like, okay, I've been using the small one for like a week. Oh, oh, I thought it was in a box. So I like, boxed it. sneaked out of the box, huh? It's, yeah, yeah. it's not, it's mm-hmm, back in the box. Mm-hmm. Um the the smaller keyboard is not as good but it's perfectly serviceable 
and definitely a lot lighter. You pick up the little one, and then you pick up the big one, and you're like, holy moly, this one is made of lead and concrete. Yeah. Anyways, so that's going on. Uh, I will follow up with what I decide to do. Keep both iPads. Probably be nothing. Probably you're going to not sell the 12.9 and buy a 9.7, and and that's it. I could promise you that's not the outcome. We'll see. We'll see. This episode of Connected is brought to you by a new sponsor, and that is the Ring Video Doorbell. With Ring, you'll be able to see and talk to anyone at your door from anywhere in the world using your smartphone. You can protect your home and loved ones today by going to ring.com slash connected. And for a limited time, you will get $50 off their Ring of Security kit. Let me tell you why Ring is interesting and important. There is a home burglary every 13 seconds. It is a thing that happens. Most even happen in broad daylight. Burglars will ring your doorbell to make sure that you're away, and then when they see that nobody answers, they break in. It's a nasty thing to talk about, but it is something that you should think about. And the Ring Video Doorbell has actually been proven to stop burglaries before they happen by allowing you to see and speak to anyone approaching your door using your smartphone. So somebody will ring the bell, and then you'll get a push notification. You'll be able to open the Ring app, and you'll be able to talk to them. So be like, hey, I'm on the intercom. Go away. Or I'm home. Or I'm busy right now. Come back later. And now Ring is using their advanced motion detection technology to protect your entire property with the Ring of Security Kit. So this includes that Ring video doorbell for the front door and a Ring stick-up cam, which is a wireless weatherproof HD camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property. The Ring video doorbell and stick-up cam take just minutes to install and then they will work together, providing 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away. So the stick-up cam is something you'd put maybe on the side of your house or on your back door and you'll be able to see anybody that comes near that so they don't ring it it's like a it's like a companion to the doorbell right so you have doorbell on the front door stick up cam somewhere else in the property you can have multiple ones and they can all talk together it really is very exciting ring are sending me uh, one of these kits and i cannot wait to install it uh, you know listeners to the show know i've been on a bit of a home security kick right now and i'm super excited to have the doorbell on my front door and i'll put the stick up cam above my back door and i will feel completely secure with Ring. It's that peace of mind. That's kind of all I'm looking for with this stuff. And this is what these types of products provide. And also, if I'm being super lazy and don't want to go downstairs, I can tell the delivery man to just leave the package by the door. Join the hundreds of thousands who protect their home with Ring. For a limited time, listeners of this show can get $50 off the Ring of Security Kit. This is the lowest price anywhere. So go to ring.com slash connected right now and claim your $50 off. Thank you so much to Ring for their support of this show and Relay FM. So some some news broke last week, which it's not big news, but it, it I think it kind of follows on for a bunch of things that we've spoken about in the past, which is Evernote has announced some new pricing tiers. Um, it's kind of a bit tricky, I think, to understand what's happening here, which is part of the problem. Like if you're going to announce some pricing changes, make them clear. And at least I don't feel very clear on this. Do you have a handle on what's going on? Yeah, they're just charging more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But there's there's also like the free plan. Now you can only have a certain amount of devices or something like that. So it's it's really two things. So the the if you just sign up and sync it for free, you are now limited to two devices. So if you are using a phone and six iPads and a computer like you are, you have to pay. And if you are paying, those prices have now gone up a, a noticeable amount. It's actually the second time, I think, that Evernote's bumped pricing in the last 12 months. You know, they've... 
I think the bigger, more interesting thing is here is like, how is Evernote doing as a business? And my guess is not super well. I think anytime you put up prices like this, it's because you need the money. Yeah. and Something isn't balancing, right? Which is why you put up the price. And, you know, they've let some people off, which is always uh, always hard to see. And we've got a new CEO. And, you know, Evernote is, is in the unicorn club uh, of what is it, valuation over a billion dollars. But a lot of people have speculated, I think including us, that they may be the, the first of those companies to to not make it. And I think that the the reasoning is that, you know, they are now competing in a space that has many more options than it did when they launched. And Evernote, Evernote has not focused on, in my opinion, not focused on the things they needed to focus on to stay ahead, where if they had made their clients better and had worked on importing and exporting and worked on syncing without conflicts with multiple people, as opposed to a weird retail business, then maybe they wouldn't be in this place. But many Apple people, at least, including myself, have completely moved to Notes, which is built in and free and works with iCloud and does everything I needed out of Evernote except for sharing. And now that's coming this fall. So they they have increased competition. They haven't focused on what made them great. And now I think they're they're suffering for it, which really stinks. I I, I hope them well. Um and I hope that they can they can figure it out, but it just really seems like it, it may be too little too late. So I am an Evernote subscriber, and I'm very confused. This is part of the problem. I don't know what's happening here. So I've not got any email from them about this yet. And I, I am currently on Evernote Premium, and I pay £3.99 a month. But when I look at their subscription plans, that's what Plus is now, and Premium is a different price. So I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, I'm kind of a bit confused as to what is happening with my Evernote account. And I'm happy to pay, like, I mean, even then, like, I'm looking at like three ninety nine a month when I honestly use it a few times a year. Um, and I'm thinking about trying to see if I can migrate stuff away from Evernote. What I use Evernote for now is just to email travel documents to. So mm-hmm. when I get, uh, when I book rooms, when I book flights, I like to save just the the PDFs basically somewhere, and I've always done it in Evernote. So you know they're not PDFs, but like they're full rich text, like forwarded versions of the emails which I do. Right. Um, and that requires Plus or Premium to be able to do that. And also because I have so many devices, I would have to have Plus or Premium now. Three ninety nine a month, like I'll keep paying that for now, like if that's what it's going to be. But if they want to put up my pricing, which they may very well, and I don't know if it's like because I pay through iTunes or something, like they're struggling to get in contact with me. I don't really know what's going on. Um, but if they're going to put it up, I don't know how I feel. Like I might stick with three ninety nine, but it's making me think. Like I'm moving a lot of stuff away. Like so, when I take a trip now, I make like a plain text note of all of this stuff, like all of my confirmation numbers and all of my addresses and stuff, because I like it all to be in the notes app. Um, but I'm considering changing. And as uh, in an outland says in the chat room, maybe this will be one of the key features of one two three note taker is to allow all of this rich text import clearly right? that I can clearly. put all of this in there, and then I don't need Evernote at all. But it's making me rethink it simply because like Evernote has now popped themselves back into my brain again where previously they were kind of just like a dumb silo. But now it's like, oh, company's here. Forgot about you. And now right. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Like, I really wished that Apple would have some kind of, I don't know, like 
way to make this work for me in the notes app like take an email and save it there and maybe i just need to find a new like locker of some description you know like i have i use airmail and airmail could turn those into pdfs super easily so maybe i just have to take these pdfs of these emails that i get and save them to something else that that stores this stuff i don't know yeah I make I make PDFs uh, and s- just save them to notes directly because you can you can double tap them and open them and as you know full screen PDFs. That's a good point. Maybe I should just do that. That works really well for me. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I, I always forget that the Notes app can handle PDFs. Yep, it's great. Mm. Um, so that's how I do it. And so I had a WWDC notebook. In fact, I actually just got rid of it the other night. And so there was a note for flights, a note for Airbnb, and you know I could go in there, I could open the PDF, and it was you know straight from my Expedia account telling me, you know, all my flight information. Not as seamless as forwarding an email, but it's pretty quick. And, you know, for me, we, we've talked about when it came out, I wrote a big thing on it. Notes is really good. And there are a few things that bug me, especially in the Mac client, but uh, a lot of those, including the font size, are actually fixed in Sierra. And so they, they have continued to work on it. And, you know, adding sharing is a huge thing. And... They're slowly chipping away at these at these other services, but you know, uh, seeing Evernote struggling to make sense of a business model in a world where that particular business model uh, may not be relevant anymore is is hard to watch. And it'll be uh, interesting to see if they can pull it off. You know, maybe they can do this, and the hardcore Evernote people will stay, and it's enough. Um, maybe they have to continue to to tinker with it, but. Either way, it was it was disappointing to see and, and difficult to see because I, I I used it for years and and really did enjoy it. It's just you know I've I've moved on. Yeah, for sure. So talking about moving on, Hackintoshes. Why are we what, talking you, about Hackintoshes again? Uh, because it's two thousand nine. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. No, so uh, this guy, um, Mike Rundle. Mike Rundle wrote a, a medium post we'll put a link to uh, uh it and my article in the show notes basically mike put together a 1200 dollars hackintosh and he writes all about it in this medium post uh he goes into like a lot of nerdy detail about the processor and the ram and the power supply all the the stuff right he has a picture of like this these boxes from new egg with all of his computer guts in it and he puts it together and it runs os 10 and I found it really interesting for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, I did this back in 2009 on a couple of netbooks. And back then it was, especially the Dell Mini 9, it was super simple to do. You basically just put a disk in and had your drivers and you were you were good to go. And I kind of assumed when I left that behind that it had sort of faded away. And you would hear every now and again about it, but building Hackintoshes is like, still going on and really in a in a big way. And so there's this website he he Mike links to it and talks about it called tonymacx86.com that has tutorials and forums and updates and like parts lists that they put together every month. So like they keep up with all these different parts you can use. And so if you just want to go and like go down their shopping list and buy all these parts, put your own computer together. But what's most interesting to me is why people do this. Um, and I think there are really primarily two reasons, and I'm curious, Mike, to see what you think about these. Uh, the first is I think that people just like to tinker. There's something that people find really attractive about putting their own 
anything together, but especially computers, right? That knowing every component, knowing every connection, being able to go in and take a part out and replace it with something new, that that is very enjoyable to uh, a lot of people. And, and I totally get that. I have things in my life that I am that way about, just not my Max. Um, but I think too, and I think that, that Mike writes about this, is that I think some of this comes from a frustration with the uh, stagnation of Mac hardware. I feel like on the Mac rumors buying guide, everything is lit up red. Uh, the Mac Pro hasn't been updated in about in about 72 years. And there are people who need high-end Macs that Apple can't service because their stuff is all aging. And, you know, maybe we're right around the corner from all this stuff being updated. I surely hope so. But, you know, if you need a, a custom-built computer for, like, a very particular thing, then maybe Hackintosh is the way to go, where you can squeeze a lot more CPU out of a machine running OS X than anything you can buy from Cupertino. And if you are in that situation and you're willing to take the trade-offs, which we can talk about in a second, then maybe it's a, a viable thing. I don't know. What do you think, Mike? What, how do you feel about the, the tinkering thing in particular? I don't feel it. Um, for, for hardware products, like I don't, I just don't get it. Like the idea of the reason I'm a Macintosh owner is because I don't want to build a PC. Right. It's one, one of the clear reasons that I love my Macs is because I don't have to think about buying the correct graphics card, buying the right RAM that will work with the CPU that I'm buying. Like I just don't, I've never really had a feeling for that. I've never built a PC. It's just not something that I'm interested in doing. But I know that there are people that want to do it. And I guess for people that were PC users maybe in the early 2000s and used to build their own gaming PCs and stuff, and then they've moved over to the Mac because they like OS X, I can see how it is a thing that you might be difficult to let go of. So you might want to get back into it. And I don't really think that's why uh, Mike Rundle did this. He seems to be more in the camp of I'm upset of how long I'm waiting to buy this hardware that is more expensive and then it just sits on the shelf and gets old. And I, un- right. I can understand that. But I, I know this is, you know, this, this is, will upset the people that feel this way. Is I just feel like that's part of what you're doing here. Right, like this is just something you need to accept if you're in the Macintosh world. Of that, products are updated maybe once every couple of years, uh, and sometimes you're going to be on something that's not so great for you. And I know that there's been a lot of discussion ATP recently about the Mac Pro, and trust me, I get it. Like there are certain computers that Apple makes that just fall by the wayside, and if you're the type of person that wants hardware to be at the bleeding edge, you shouldn't be buying a Mac Pro, right? <laughs> Maybe the iMac is the right machine for you because it does get updated more frequently. Um, but I can see how it can lead someone down the path of wanting to build their own computer because then they can dictate how fast it is and then they can you know, upgrade it as they want to. And I know that was why the cheese grater was so popular with a lot of people because it was expandable. And whilst the Mac Pro is kind of to a point, the current one, a lot of the parts that people want to be able to upgrade, they can't because either right. it's one that is un- not upgradable or is a very specific type of part that just isn't really made, right? Like there are some weird connectors and stuff that people don't really make a lot of stuff for, am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, everything is like custom uh, inside that the new trash can design and Apple's point of view is like, if you want to expand, do whatever Thunderbolt. It was like, great. No one wants to do that. So, 
it definitely was a big step backwards from the the cheeseburger design, where you could open it and put, you know, like Syracuse is is, is still on life support with a new graphics card, and you, know, you can put SSD in over the PCI bus. Like you can do lots of stuff in it that you just can't do even in the current one. And uh, it's you know it's something to think about when when you're buying a system of when was it last updated. And and I generally am one to say if you need a computer, go buy a computer and uh, fine print buy the most computer you can afford. Like my MacBook Pro is almost decked out. I didn't do the dual GPU thing. Uh, but other than that, like the biggest SSD I could put in it, like because I'm going to use it for a long time, right? And I know that if I spend a little money on the front end, I'm going to be happier in the long run because because I can't open it and put a bigger drive in anymore. But what's where these people are falling into the pressure point is that I, I need a computer to do X, right? These these high-end applications and Apple's hardware is just uh, is just languishing. And that's really frustrating if you need to get work done on something that, you know, just can't just can't cut it anymore. But it's kind of the the other side of this is all the 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 trade-offs, right? So you can go you can go build something. Well, part of it is in trying to actually put OS 10 on these machines. So OS 10 people may remember this from the the Intel switch. There was a lot of hubbub about it then. Uh there's actually in the hardware of a Mac, there are checks that OS 10 looks for and says, "Am I running on a valid Macintosh computer? Yes or no?" And so you have to fake that. Um, Apple uses some weird stuff with the Broadcom Wi-Fi and Bluetooth chipsets uh, for like continuity and handoff that are really difficult to to mimic with third-party hardware. Um, and the holy grail in this article is iMessage. I, I didn't know this till I read this. Uh, iMessage apparently is tied to your computer's like serial or MAC address. And so they, like spoofing that is very difficult and there's some people have figured it out but it seems super sketchy so if you're going to build something like this you have to be aware that you are doing something outside of the bounds of what apple says you should do and so some things aren't going to work things like software updates are going to be your enemy you can't just run you know the new version of el capitan if it comes out you know 10 11 6 or whatever because it could explode your entire thing and so you're waiting on the community to say this update is safe if you run these components. Uh, you may need this patch file to run at login to change your GPU driver. Like, there's all these little things. And, you know, there are people who, if you're into this, and that's fine, right? But this is not, like what I'm getting to, this is not a casual user's type solution. It also isn't really the solution for the majority of Mac owners. Right, I think that's fair to say. Like the majority of Mac power users aren't interested or in this camp at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are people that do this. I mean, and it's like you know, all of the things that don't work, are like flat out, one of the reasons I wouldn't do this. Like, I don't want any of that stuff to not work. I don't want graphics card issues. I don't want audio issues. I don't want iMessage problems. But even just like the the steps that um, Rundle runs down and how you actually install OS X onto the computer. It's like, no, it makes me remember when I, you know, w- would unlock the bootloader on an Android phone. It's like, here is like 10 steps where you don't fully understand what you're doing and you just got your fingers crossed that you put everything in the right order because otherwise it's all going to explode into a ball of flame. 
you know, I I I am not criticizing anybody that does this. It's just merely pointing out that like there is no bone in my body that wants to be involved in this. Especially like <laughs> I can't imagine making the stuff that I need to make to earn my living on a computer that is sketchily put together. I would be so scared that like at any <laughs> moment it's just gonna stop. Yeah, no, I agree. And, it, and when I was doing it back in two thousand nine, that was not my main system. I had a MacBook Pro. Then I had this little Dell Mini 9 that was adorable with a leopard on it that I would take to class and take notes on. And knowing that, you know, updates would would break it and that the battery life wasn't very good and sometimes audio didn't work until you reset the PRAM, like all this, you know, all this stuff. It's just interesting, though, that it's still a thing, right? Like that, that's like the whole underlying thing of my post about it was like I had just assumed this had all gone away, but clearly it's still a a vibrant community and it'll be interesting to see what happens in this community long term. I don't think Apple is pay- is playing cat and mouse with this like they did with iOS jailbreaking back in the day. Like do you remember like like it's a jailbreak with jailbreak would come out and then Apple would update just to block that jailbreak and to go back and forth. Yep. And for a while Palm was syncing the Palm Pre through iTunes and they'd cat and mouse it like I don't think Apple's doing that here. Maybe if you run one of these, you feel differently. But from the outside, my guess is that Apple just doesn't pay attention to this very much and that they're going to do this stuff for their hardware. And if it breaks, Hackintosh is too bad. But if it doesn't, then, you know, this very small community got off lucky. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think Apple will probably feel about it now is like, we know, we know we're going to break this. Like, people that do this, like this, they're not like setting out to do it. But yeah, this is definitely going to happen. It's going to break. Right. And... Uh, what will happen to this community if Mac switched to ARM processors? Like, if the MacBook ends up running the A12 system on a chip from Apple uh, instead of an Intel chip, like, what happens to this community? It, is it going to be even possible to do? Um, I guess is no, or that it'd be much more difficult. And so it's, you know, this community really didn't exist in the PowerPC days. Uh, it is a byproduct of Apple switching to Intel for the most part. And what happens if Apple switches away from Intel at some point? And uh, you know, this is going to be a thing that is just locked to this period in the Mac's history. But anyways, still a thing today I learned. What do you think about the idea of the Macs going to ARM? Um, it's complicated. I And looking at something like the MacBook... You know, the, the Intel Core M is just so slow. Could Apple deliver a faster MacBook if it ran on ARM? Then it would be a uh, a win for the MacBook. If Apple could build ARM chipsets that were powerful enough for the MacBook Pro, the iMac, the Mac Pro, just let's just say that that's possible. Um, and there, there's still a lot of trade-offs. You have, obviously, you have another developer transition, even though they, they handled... PowerPC to Intel really well. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. I actually just wrote a thing about that. Um, it was fun reliving that. There'd be a developer transition to deal with. Uh, but also, you would lose compatibility with Windows. And while a bunch of us don't care about that, um, people do need to run Windows in virtualization. They need to boot, run Boot Camp uh, for things like cross-browser development. Uh, you know, Casey uh, Liss, our good friend of the show, used to work on the Microsoft stack. So he had a MacBook Pro that he ran Windows on to get his work done. And 
He had to do that at work. It was his job. And so what about all those people? You know, all those people would lose out because running Windows on a virtualizing Windows on an ARM based Mac wouldn't work. It would be, you know, you'd have to do all sorts of crazy stuff like we used to have to do in the PowerPC days. So they're trade offs. My hope is that Intel and Apple can work through these issues they seem to be having and that we can stay on Intel because there are lots of benefits. Uh, why put developers to a transition on a platform that already is seeing developer slowdown, right? So, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why put a uh, why put a tax on Ooh. Mac developers? You should be making Mac development easier than ever. You know, I didn't think of like, that. Like, Mac development is slow now anyway. Like, imagine what would happen if all of your Mac apps had to be, like, re-engineered to run on the new architecture. Right. How many of them just wouldn't just, come with it, right? <laughs> like, I think of all the like the tiny little things that I use, like you know, like the streaming software that we use and stuff like that. Like, I just can't imagine a lot of that surviving. And that was that was true when they switched until eleven years ago. A lot of stuff uh, died off because a lot of developers had older PowerPC apps that maybe they carbonized, so they ran on OS ten, and a lot of those just kind of went away and. A lot of them were replaced with new stuff, right? There's always new developers who are foolish enough to get into it. But it, it's like, I just don't see, um, I just don't see the strategy tax being worth it. So I don't know. I, I, I hope that they stay on Intel. I hope that the Intel can figure it out. I hope the MacBook gets better. Um, if Apple switches to ARM, am I going to, you know, light myself on fire? No, of, of course not. We'll work through it as a community. But... Either way, I don't think they're close, right? Like even there could be a ton of benefits, right? Like just like a, a huge amount of benefits if they did do it, and and if you remove all of the bad stuff, right? Well, they they would have they'd be able to do it in house, assumedly. And Apple clearly likes that. They could really fine tune it for what they need. You know, a lot of the proc decisions that go into the MacBook that people just get mad about. Those are proc decisions dictated by the Intel chipset they they they're using right people are like why is there no thunderbolt where well, the quorum doesn't support thunderbolt so you don't get it like apple is is working within the framework set up by intel and yes there are things yes chat room i'm aware of rosetta like there are things that could that could ease this transition but um but it, i think it'd still be too big of a, a hurdle for a lot of people to to, to do to jump uh, on their own irrespective of something like rosetta existing Rosetta went away. It did. Uh, you cannot run PowerPC code anywhere. I think it went away in Terramino. I think in Lion. But um, and also like there's nothing to say that something like this could exist, right? Like I don't know about the architecture and why it could work, right? Like the virtualization and that sort of stuff. But you know, there might just be not a way to do it. You could run Windows on an ARM Mac, but it would be like running Windows on a PowerPC Mac way back in the day, it's going to be very slow because you're actually virtualizing the processors and everything as opposed to just creating a virtual machine that runs on the same hardware. But, um, I mean, going back to the the benefits for a second, you know, you would have something really fine-tuned for the system. You would have something where you control all the parameters. You would have something where, assumedly, you could, you could tune up for, like, the right things. So if you wanted a system that was really all about battery life, you could build a system with that in mind. If you could look at the Mac Pro and say, we just need something that has more GPU power than anything else. You could build something to serve that. So there, there are opportunities for Apple to sort of more 
be more flexible with the Mac hardware if they controlled the entire thing. But is that benefit worth the cost to users, the cost to developers, uh, the cost to Apple in, in doing this? Or like, I have no doubt that, like, no doubt at all, that Mac OS Sierra is running on our Mac somewhere at, at Apple. They did it. They kept it up from Next Step to Tiger when they switched to Intel. No doubt someone is doing that. But there is a great cost in making that change. I just don't know if Apple would see it as being even worth it for the Mac at this point. I'm kind of hoping that the Mac's relative popularity to iOS means that Apple's going to kind of leave the Mac alone in this regard and just let it keep doing its thing. And because, you know, while we have stress right now about no updates, overall, the Mac line is really good and it's better than it's ever been. You look at something like the iMac you're sitting in front of now, Mike, it's one of the best computers Apple's ever made. It's hands down. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm very happy with my iMac. And I'm hoping that like the next MacBook Pros would make me very happy too, right? Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, so th- there's lots of opportunities for the Mac to continue to be great running on Intel. They just got to get Skylake figured out. They got to get stuff shipping again. Um, so uh, I don't I don't see this being a, a thing that we got to worry about anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. I, I do feel like it. we would probably sooner be all iOS than Apple switching to ARM for the Mac. I just, I just don't see it, right? Like, I, I just don't see that there's that those two things are gonna happen at, at right other than that. Like, I just feel like we'll be iOS will be the dominant platform before Apple makes a huge change from Intel to ARM for the for the Mac. That's how I feel about it. I w- would be it'd be interesting to see if I'm proved wrong, but it just it just doesn't feel like it's gonna happen to me. It just feels like a lot of work for the smallest platform. Well, yeah. Um, in sales, in current sales now, right? Like what they, I know that that I kind of, I was going to upset watch a lot of people there, but like <laughs> if you look at what's being sold, right? Um, oh yeah, no, no, no I'm not upset. About, I'm not upset about that. I was going to make a, a watch OS joke. Hey, we don't um, know, man. Maybe they're selling more watches. They're not selling more watches, but maybe they are. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> that would make me sad. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Uh, if oh, they God. sell more watches than they sell iPads, I would cry. And at that point, we can all just quit, right? We'll, me, you, Federico, we're done at that point. Yeah. So uh, that's a, I mean, uh, I did not expect to talk about ARM versus Intel today with you. Um, I don't feel like I'm sufficiently qualified to have that discussion. No, I apologize to you. It's called John. Uh, so it's, anyway, so it's Hackintoshing is, is still a thing. People are still doing it. Um, I don't have any desire to, to, to round all this out. I don't have any desire to do this, even though it would seem on paper like this is right up my alley. How I closed my blog post was like, this is a, a young man's game. Like, I'm with you. I need my Mac to be rock solid every day. And even though my MacBook Pro has like sketchy old Intel stuff in it, uh, that makes me a little sad. It is reliable and it is consistent. And that's what I want out of my Mac. I want to be able to open it each day. I want to come up to my desk and wake it up. And I want to get my work done on it. And I don't want to have to worry about a software update that ran overnight and broke my audio driver because I'm a podcaster. I need that to work. And, you know, for me, like as great as this is, and it's like part of my brain is really tempted, like let's buy a bunch of parts and build a computer. Uh, I need my Mac to, to be a workhorse and I don't have time or the, um, the like patience, patience or like the ability to be distracted enough to, to deal with uh, all the, the side stuff that would come with it. Well, that's Hackintoshes. 
And we're back to 2016, and we are sponsored this week by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your own website straight away at squarespace.com and use the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. With Squarespace, you'll be able to build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of the skills that you have, regardless of how many websites you may or may not have built. It doesn't matter. You don't need coding experience to make something that looks and feels professional and exactly how you want. Squarespace have easy-to-use tools and templates that let you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing in the world and Squarespace is the place to do that. They ensure security and stability by using state-of-the-art technology to power your site and because of this, they're trusted by millions of people around the world. And if you do get stuck with anything, their 24-7 support team is there to help with live chat and email. If you are somebody who has a band, you can set up very easily with their music player that they have. If you have a store, you can very easily set up a store for your Squarespace site. If you have a portfolio you want to show off, they have gallery tools that you can just drag and drop right in. It's so simple. But if you are someone who does know what they're doing and you want to just have somewhere that's nicely hosted and supported and maintained for you, but you want to dig into the code yourself, you can do that with Squarespace's developer platform. Anybody can access it and you can dig in if you want to, but you really don't need to. If you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name and Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. You can sign up with a free trial today, no credit card required and start building your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com and then when you decide to sign up by using the offer code WORLD at checkout, you'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Connected and Relay FM. Thank you to Squarespace for sponsoring this week's show. Federico, you've returned. I have. I'm alive. I'm here. We told the world, uh, you know, that you partied too hard for 4th of July, so they all know now, so you can't hide the secret. Why would I do that? Exactly. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. No, I was just... Uh, it, uh, it was an ISP thing, and I know that now Steven's going to make a joke about ISP on fire. Uh, but yeah, ISP travels again, but now it sort of works. But I'm still waiting for a fix. Anyway, I I don't I don't party for uh, the Fourth of July. I just um, I just watch the tweets go by with the pictures of the fireworks and and hamburgers and whatever it is that Americans do. Flags, I guess. That sums it up. I, I watched the John Cena video, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, I freaking love that video. Yeah, so I'm back just in time, guys, for a change, and that change is the second beta of iOS 10. Finally, yeah. So that's out now. We have the second beta, and there are some some changes that are notable that I think are kind of might be worth mentioning today. Um, one of them is the way, like a bunch of changes to messages, uh, and a lot of it is focused around stickers. So over the weekend, um, in the uh, actual app store, the current app store. Mm-hmm the sticker packs started popping up quite randomly. And I think unexpectedly, right? We had smileys, hands, and hearts, and the classic Mac sticker packs pop up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which didn't really make any sense. And, and if you downloaded them, and if you do download them on iOS 9, uh, kind of nothing happens. <laughs> like you just press download, and then it says the word add, and then you press the add button, and nothing happens to them, uh, which I really like. Um and it's cool to see that they put these in there and that they, we can see now that they've put them in because there has been, I think, a bit of an overhaul of the stickers and the iMessage stuff uh, in Beta 2. Uh, 
it's still buggy, of course, but it is now responsive. I think you would agree with me, Federico, that in beta one, a lot of the sticker stuff was it was basically not worth using. It was awful, just unusable. They they wouldn't scroll, they wouldn't load, and it was just terrible. I was trying to send stickers to John. Um an iMessage, and I was trying to send a bunch to you, but it it was just terrible. It wouldn't work. Now they... Uh, so I just installed iOS 10 on my Beta 2 on my iPhone. Um, they do work now. It's still not great, and still clearly not finished. And it's obviously a beta, and the scrolling is all janky, yep. and opening the, the bottom drawer to view the currently installed apps. Uh, it's also kind of buggy. Sometimes the... I mean, all of the issues that you would expect from a beta. Yeah. Um, and rest assured, we have filed raiders already. Mm-hmm. And when you when you go to the App Store, uh, there's some crashes. But I feel like the, the basic idea is in there right now, which is you can tap on this grid icon in the bottom left to open this panel, which is sort of like a whole new home screen just for iMessage. And with with that concept comes also the ability to rearrange uh, these icons on this new home screen. Uh, so you can tap and hold and you can move them around. And It does a weird thing for you to get out of this view, though, which is it's strange to me um, that once those little iMessage icons are jiggling, the way that you stop them jiggling is to press the home button, but you don't go home. Nice private API used by Apple. I don't think any <laughs> other app has done this before, right? Like that you can press the home button and something else happens. I don't they think can. you can. I mean, like even an Apple app. Mm, probably not an Apple app. Oh, maybe the only instance I can think of would be when you configure Touch ID and if you accidentally click the home button, it tells you, oops, you click the home button, maybe you're just supposed to rest your finger. There you go. So the API exists, right? Yeah. They yeah, just haven't used it before, and now they use it for this. And it is kind of weird, because like, when I was trying to stop them from jiggling, I didn't know how to do it. And uh, I was pressing the home button because I was going to go and force quit the application. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> so the I would say that the most notable changes uh, that are going on and that will continue to happen, I think, is in the images app. Uh, which uh, lets you look up images and videos. And it, these images are both static images and pictures from like Tumblr and, and Bing, as well as as you can, if you try beta 2, if you send uh, a GIF to someone else, it says that they come from Giphy. So we don't know yet if it's a partnership, if maybe Apple has teamed up with Giphy, uh, which would make sense because a lot of people actually have teamed up with with Giphy and other companies such as RiffC. You know, people are actually, companies are actually paying money to yep. these other gift companies to access their databases. So it would make sense for Apple to team up with these folks. Uh, but um, the interface is kind of terrible because it doesn't tell you when you search for an image. It doesn't tell you if you're about to choose a static image or if you're about to choose a GIF. A 10 megabyte GIF, like the one you sent me. Multiple ones, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is nice is... Uh, what I've sort of discovered is you can mix and match uh, these images and even animated GIFs with stickers. So as I as I tested with Mike, uh, you can sort of come up with your own personal creations of GIFs combined with uh, with the stickers with the Apple hands and the Apple uh, smileys stickers, uh, which can lead to some interesting results. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if people have, will kind of have fun uh, combining and mixing these images and the GIFs and the stickers and whatever uh still the 
the feeling that I that I get is that um, conversations in iMessage, if people if people start using all of these effects and the stickers and the apps, uh, can get quite busy. You know, there's a lot yeah. of stuff going on. And also the reactions, which I forgot was there until today. The tap back, which yeah. is also not a good name, uh, but uh, yeah, that's basically Slack reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, that's also kind of uh, strange the way that it's implemented so far. Because if you tap, if you tap and hold on a message that has um, text but also a sticker, when you tap and hold, you get both the reactions and the menu to open the sticker details. So it's like crammed into a single menu. I'm not sure if that's the best choice. Um, anyway. This beta two sort of confirms the fact that uh, iMessage is going to be the highlight of yeah. uh, iOS ten, if only because there's so much stuff going on. As of today, as well, if you send any of the rich stuff in uh, iMessages to an iOS nine user, it now displays. So previously, if you sent a sticker to someone, they just wouldn't see. You would have no idea. But now the stickers show up as uh, PNG files. And when you send through things like uh, the effects, so if I send a slam, it will send a, a second message after the first message that says sent with slam effect in brackets. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also the digital touches. So if you do a digital touch thing where like you maybe take a photo and you draw on it, um, or if you send a heartbeat, they all come through as videos. So mm-hmm. I think that this is really interesting. Like what had to happen behind the scenes in between these two times that means that this now works, right? That's an interesting thing to me where like nothing's happened to iOS 9 in that time period, but something has happened now. On the server, maybe. Or the Mac. I mean, I got those on the Mac when you were texting me earlier. I got a little parenthetical. Yeah, it's the same on iOS, the same on Mac. It's, it's, It's just interesting that now we've got this, there's something happening in the background. Yeah, I really, yeah. I really hope that Apple changes the way that uh, the behavior of uh, rich links uh, was in, in the beta one, which is you need to confirm that you want to load the preview the first time, and then after, after that, the rich links lo- load with the rich preview by default. Uh, and I really think th- there shouldn't be any confirmation of loading the rich preview. Uh, I, I really can't think of a, of a downside of having rich links with the preview on by default, besides the fact that they make the message bigger. I guess, or maybe that there's some people who really want to see the raw link instead of a rich preview. I I, I don't or, know. Or uh, it may be that you don't want people, you know, maybe it's like a privacy thing. You don't want people sending things to your or phone m- that you can't control. Maybe yeah, that, that could that could be that could be, or you you don't want to waste uh, data loading the featured image yeah. uh, on That's a cellular connection. Yeah, that could be that could be. See, I'm I'm taking notes for my review right now. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> it was very productive. I, I really like that you can watch videos in the little preview. It doesn't, you know, it just plays in line, at least on the iPad. I like that. Yeah, with YouTube and Vimeo, I think yeah. it works. Yeah, it's, yeah really it's, it's very nice. I, I almost wish that Apple would have some kind of more serious partnership with YouTube to have like custom controls for these this video previews in iMessage, but I know that's never going to happen. So I'm uh, not getting my hopes up too much, but it would yeah. be nice, right? That ship has sailed. Yeah, I know. It just loads the HTML video and that's it. But still, you know, in my in my dreams, that can happen. Uh, there's a bunch of new widget stuff. So uh, I'm so happy that they've made this change. So uh, with iOS 9 came news in the... Uh, what what was it called when you swipe over on iOS 9? Is it Spotlight Suggestions? I want to say Proactive page. Yeah, maybe? Proactive. I think it's Proactive. 
um, it would show news headlines at the bottom. Uh, and the only way that you could remove these news headlines if you didn't want to see them was to disable Siri suggestions, which meant that when you typed in names for people and stuff, it didn't search Wikipedia or anything like that. So you just lost that functionality if you didn't want to see the news. Like, I just don't want to see those headlines. Now, that is a news widget that can be removed, um, which is fantastic. So now I can get those Siri suggestions without having to see the news stuff. Uh, so that makes me very happy. Um, widgets can now be accessed from anywhere again, just from swiping down on Notification Center and then across. That had been removed in certain parts of uh, iOS, but that's now uniform across everywhere. And there's a notes widget that's really cool. It has your recent notes, and you can see to show more, and it shows you your three recent, and then you can add new notes from there as well. I like that. I can see myself getting a lot of use out of a notes widget. Yeah, that's really um, cool. I'm, I'm really a fan of the the whole breaking up all of these uh, widgets, uh, all of these features from iOS 9 into standalone widgets in iOS 10. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, con of considerations to make about the design, of the behavior of the compact and expanded modes. But I feel like it's better if maybe we wait until further betas uh, because like uh, everything is, a, is in a state of flux right now. So even the design of the widgets and the functionality and the way that uh, legacy widgets can adapt to iOS 10, that's, that's, I feel like that's going to change down the road. But um, from my use over the past few weeks, um, I've started to use widgets a lot more, if only because they show you more stuff and, and, and because Apple has a way more useful system widgets. For example, the weather one, I use it all the time now. When I'm on the lock screen and I want to check on, on, on the forecast, I can just wipe over and take a look at the weather. Or I can uh, view the favorites. Um, so I put in a bunch of shortcuts to call my mom with a normal phone call or with FaceTime audio and even to send an iMessage to Sylvia. So I feel like Apple has done a good job with the new system widgets, but I want to see how developers will uh, will react and adapt to, to, the, to the new design and the two different uh, presentation modes. I think it would have been kind of nice if you could just have these widgets on the first screen rather than having to swipe to see them. Like on the home screen? Yeah. No, like on the screen that you see when you try, you know, when you like turn your device on or pick your device up. What about notifications? Well, you could find a way to make that work. Like notifications come in and push them down or something and you scroll or notifications show in a different mm. way. But like there, there is utility there, which would be kind of nice. Like the weather one, for example, like the weather one could just live next to the clock and it'd be no problem. I mean, uh, my guess is they want apps to still be the focus, but it all of this work to make them accessible from a swipe over or a swipe down, like so much work is being put into making them nearby. Like, why not just put them on the home screen? It seems like they're just refusing to do that, but getting closer yeah. and closer to it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, if they want to keep pushing this next, that's what it has to be, right? Like, the, I get the notes widget on my home screen. Like, yeah, I agree. It feels like by now, they are trying so many ways to do this without doing that. Mm -hmm. Right, like like the notes widget, for example, looks very similar to how a widget would look on Android. A couple of recent ones, and then some quick mm -hmm. action buttons, like Evernote widgets and stuff. That's how they look, and they live on your home screen. It's like, but they're like getting so close, but they just won't take that final step. And and right now, it feels like a principal thing, like to not disrupt the sanctity of the home screen. 
Yeah, that's more on principle, really, at this yeah. point, because they truly believe in the in having the app icons and the all the other information separate. Uh, I can see how maybe in the future the, the, this wall will come down, uh, but right now it's it can it's it's more useful than what it used to be. But if you know how it works on other platforms, it's it, it can be awkward because, as you say, you, you, once you know, you, you start thinking, "What? Well, why is?" This not on the home screen. Yeah. Uh, why do I need to swipe over? Uh, I I feel like we'll get there eventually, and this looks like a first step, or maybe a second one. App Store, Federico, is now enabled for Split View. Well, finally. I mean, every time, <laughs> every time I'm putting together the newsletter, and I need to switch from from my text editor to the App Store to look up uh, to look up an app description. I cry inside uh, very much <laughs> on iOS 9. And now I, I saw a screenshot someone tweeted that the App Store can be used in Split View, which makes me very happy. And I have reason to believe that last year um, it simply wasn't done because they didn't have the time <laughs> to update Apple Music and the App Store with Split View. So I guess they found it. So good news on uh, on the people who found the time to, to make this happen. Thank you. And just a couple of last quick, very quick points from 9to5Mac. Um, Apple News is now a removable application. Um, and the, the keyboard click sound has now reverted to the previous version. No. <laughs> Why? I didn't like the sound. Oh, it was really funny. No, the sound didn't need to change. This is why we can have ni- nice things. The sound didn't need to change. Why change you it? You people, you nerds and your crazy ideas. This is the problem. Well, I would say the crazy idea was changing the sound. You got to turn those sounds off. Turn them off. It was lovely. I have them off. Why would you keep it off? It's so nice. Because when I'm typing on my devices at 2 o'clock in the morning in bed... Oh, well, I, uh, okay, sure, but what about during the day? What's the point in having them on during the day? It's, it's feedback. Uh, my devices are always on mute. No, you don't need to hear the feedback because you're such a good typist. Right. Look at you. Wow. <laughs> a sick burn i don't know how to deal with that so we might as well just move on federica when these new betas come out how does it affect the work that you've done i hope it ruins it i don't really know that. <laughs> wow it kind of does so thank you for reminding me so what 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 happens then so like you've written a bunch of stuff knowing there's going to be more betas and then new betas come out and then you have to go and change it like what does that do to you well the the the, the tricky part is um trying to understand what's going to be uh, a big idea, a big concept that's not going to change, and what is a small detail or a decision that can be reversed. So during the writing and the the research process, what I struggle with all the time is trying to put it all on the table, all of the features, all of the big and small ideas, and separate them into things that are big themes – core changes to iOS that are not going to, you know, go away. Like the Siri API is not going to disappear uh, or the seven features that are enabled for Siri, those are not going to change. But maybe, you know, everything else uh, can be, uh, smaller decisions can be reversed or can gain different settings or can maybe an option is on by default, then in, in, in a later beta, it's off by default. So trying to separate those two aspects is what takes a lot of my time. Um, I'm going to give you a few examples. So I, I've started writing from the intro 
from the introduction to the um to the the first sections of my review which are going to be about the the lock screen and about the first things that you see so the setup and unlocking a device and i had this uh section or this mini section inside of the whole unlocking um uh, you know discussion in the review where i was talking about the behavior of uh, the lock screen in iOS 10 and how you need to click the home button and how you can um, just rest your finger on the touch ID sensor and you can see a lock in the status bar and it it's a different process from iOS 9 because it's now a two-step process. Uh, you can authorize without unlocking a device. And in beta 2, the behavior is still the same, but there's a new option that I, I don't think it's fully working yet in accessibility to unlock a device just by resting your finger, which it's not clear what it does yet, but potentially that will require me to update my review. And the status bar is also different now because besides the lock icon, there's also a message and a new animation. Or, for example, I had another section that I wrote today. I was writing about uh, lock screen widgets. And uh, I, I was uh, covering how legacy widgets from iOS 8 and iOS 9 would be cut off in iOS 10 if they didn't update for the new design, which requires developers to have compact and expanded modes. When you say cut off, do you mean that they would be shrunk? Actually cut off. Or do you mean like they won't exist anymore? No, no, cut off visually. Like visually. a long list, cut off in the middle. Um, so, you know, for example, like the fantastical widget, if you have a lot of events and reminders, or the workflow widget, if you need to view a long list in a workflow inside the widget, it would be cut off in the middle because uh, the widget defaults to showing you compact mode. Uh -huh. And now it looks like there's some changes in beta too. So I had a whole, uh, you know, section uh, talking about legacy widgets and the transition from old design to new design. And it looks like there's going to, there's, there are some changes in beta too, which make legacy widgets behave better. So they're no longer cut off, even if they don't support compact mode, at least based on a few tweets that I saw and some tests that I ran on, on my iPhone. So that will require me to update that section. But see, it's one thing to, to, for a detail like that to change because I have two paragraphs or maybe even just one where I talk about this transition and what Apple could have done to ease developers and users and, the, and their widgets into this new design. But that's no big deal, right? Because I can just rewrite a single paragraph. What would be a problem would be if a whole section, a whole feature changes in a major way, such as uh, it's no longer possible to start workouts with Siri. That, that's going to be a problem. Or if Apple completely changes the multilingual keyboard, for example, and it turns out by beta 4, well, guys, sorry, we made a mistake. It's no longer possible to type in two languages. That's another section that goes away. So uh, I need to be careful picking the sections that I start writing before. I felt comfortable starting from the lock screen because I feel like what you're going to be able to do is pretty much going to stay until the very last few betas. But as we saw today, there can be some minor changes occurring between now and September, and I need to be aware of those. But as long as those are minor changes, such as widgets no longer cut off, or uh, there's a new status bar message, or there's a new option in accessibility, that's that's okay. Um, it, uh, it's, of course, a waste of time in, in a sense because I need to redo something that I've already done. But if the final 
product is you know more complete it's more precise it's more there's a better explanation it, it's a, i don't mind i would be upset if um if like split view in safari goes away well that's a problem right because it's a whole feature a whole section that needs to be deleted or changed so the i would say this is a very long answer i'm sorry mike no i wanted to hear it i would say that the hardest part of this writing process is not the writing itself it's the decision behind the writing it's the choosing which features are not going to change and which ones are you know are subject to potential improvements or you know reversals and whatever apple does but now though like these changes to the home screen you're not going to write them up now are you you'll wait cuz now you know it's in flux uh, which ones specifically? You know, so any changes that happen to the home screen, you know, like the way that it unlocks has been an accessibility thing in there. Like you can see that, and the widget stuff, like you can see some of these things are going to change. So I assume now you wouldn't r- make those changes now because you there, there's potential for them exactly. to change as the further betas go on. So now, you know, right, I have to leave that alone. I'll come back to it in beta five or whatever. So. Exactly. So what I did is, uh, as soon as I as I saw these changes, I opened my uh, sh- my sheet, the the section in uh, Ulysses, and I added uh, a comment with my comment syntax in the document, saying, uh, uh, "See if the behavior is changed uh, again in the in the in future betas. Double check this setting, or make sure that the option is still there." And I do this all the time when I come across something that I feel like is going to change or if I know that Apple is going to introduce a setting or if maybe I see a lot of people complaining about a change in beta 3 or beta 4, I make a note and I revisit by beta 5 or the GM. That I do that all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, when a beta like this comes out, do you just like spend a ton, ton of time just like poking around in the corners? Yeah. Yeah, basically what I do is I... I so a lot of people tweet at me about the changes, which I really appreciate, by the way. Don't feel bad about tweeting at me with screenshots. I love them. And uh, so I I fave those tweets. Saves you work. Exactly. I'm crowdsourcing the research. Uh, so I fave <laughs> those tweets. I take a look at... Uh, at what the what the blog what the blogs and the forums are saying around, I spend a lot of time on Reddit, uh, a lot of different blogs, just even to get to get an idea of what other people think. Because it's uh, my job with the review is not just to talk about my experience; it's also to describe the potential uh, changes for a lot of different people and what they mean. So I take a look at a lot of different sources, a lot of different places. And also what I do is I have a note in the notes app where I jot down stuff quickly, such as when Steven was telling me about, you know, stuff that I needed to, we were talking about iMessage. So I I made a note in the notes app just because it's faster, but then I move everything back into my iThoughts uh, mind map. By the way, yes, I moved from mind mind node to iThoughts because every year I do this, iThoughts just works better for me. Still, mind node is excellent, so it just works better for the review. (laughs) Why don't you start with iThoughts if you always do this? Uh, See, sometimes you think that you want to do things differently, but eventually just go back to the old way. Um, And um, so I move everything back into into the mind map, which is a huge mind map at this point with all kinds of different branches and sections. And... When I, when I spot a change, I made I make a new node in the map. Then what I do is, so I collect all of these different tweets and notes and screenshots, which the screenshots I also save in the mind map for later. Um, 
and I, and I write down like screenshot of Apple Music Beta 2. Then if it's different in Beta 3, I also add the screenshot of Apple Music in Beta 3 and I follow the entire process. Because I also want to understand the, 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 the reasoning of the designers and the developers at Apple. I want to I see what they think. And keeping track of the betas is a, is a good exercise in that. Um, and finally, what I do is I download the release notes uh, documents from the Apple website, uh, save it as a PDF, and I highlight um, the differences. And I make a note of, like, if Apple says that this, is, this stuff is broken, uh, then I'm not going to write that section because it says so in the release notes. Yeah. Thank you for another look into your review. I find this very fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. I hope it's not too boring. So that's beta two, everyone. Um, Stephen, do you have anything you want to add? I was going to say I'm 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 not running it, so I'm being quiet in this section. Uh, do you guys feel like it's obviously it's it's brand new, but um, does it feel like it's ready for more people? Does it feel like it's getting close to where a public beta is? Is you know possible, or you still think that's going to be a, like a dev beta three, like it was last year? I would say beta three. I would be surprised if a public beta comes out tomorrow. I would be really surprised. Uh, I feel like I poked around for ten minutes. Uh, I've tried on my iPad Pro and on the iPhone, and I don't feel like it's ready for a public beta. A lot of the things that I've tried are more stable, but it's still super shaky. Right, like the gotcha. messages yeah. stuff is like way better, but it still needs some work and. That, like the the more I poke around of it, the more and more stuff that seems to be missing on the iPad, like that was there before. Like it just seems like there's this, there's like leaking holes all over the place still, which is kind of what you'd expect. Um, but this time, the, the beta itself, even at beta one, was more stable than usual. But it's still not like it's still not public beta ready. Mm-hmm. As Federico said. Um, okay. if, if you want to catch our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 98. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors for this week's episode, Ring, the, the Video Doorbell, and Squarespace. If you want to find Federico online, he's over at maxstories.net, and he is also on Twitter. He's at Fetici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Stephen is at ISMH, and he writes at 512pixels.net. And I am at imike, I-M-Y-K. We'll be back next time. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.